Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Radio Show is brought to you in part by the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at helpforourheroes.com. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those that suffer from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Their program features first responders and veterans helping first responders and veterans. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Calling us from the Arlington County, Virginia area, we have Captain J.P. McMichaels from the Arlington County Sheriff's Department on the phone. Thanks so much for joining us on the Law Enforcement Show. Very much appreciated. It's my pleasure. I appreciate you having me. Now, should I call you J.P., Captain McMichaels? What what's the terminology you want me to use? No, JP is good. Okay, JP is good. Funny thing is, it was a big deal for me when I got promoted to sergeant, but no one in my family has ever called me Sarge after I retired from police work. <laughs> and, and my wife, no matter what rank I got, she always outranked me by one, so I've never been called yeah. Sergeant Home either. As a matter of fact, I've wanted to name a dog that we've had many times Sarge, and she's always put the kibosh on that as well. Yeah, I'm getting it from my daughter now because I'm teaching over at Marymount University, so she keeps telling me that I'm not a professor every day when I see her. So that's what. Oh, so we call you professor as well. Her, so. This is uh, crazy. First of all, thanks so much for your service. Thanks for joining us on the show. For those who don't know, JP uh, is an active duty captain in, in the sheriff's department. And, and please tell your sheriff that we said thank you for doing it. A lot of times, the, the people that call a show are not allowed to see in the media where they work. So it's a pretty progressive mood when they do that. It's very much appreciated. You're very actively involved with a group that's very f- near and dear to my heart with Karen Solomon called Blue Help. Tell us about them and what they do. So Blue Help is a national organization. Um, They keep the statistics for law enforcement suicide. They reach out and help the families um, following suicides, and they also do a lot of education work with departments around the country and speaking at different um, events and things like that to help raise awareness on the epidemic that we have going on with police suicide. And it's been an issue for a very, very long time. I've had Karen on the show. She has sent many 
guests our way. We've had many survivors whose spouses died by suicide. And I used to always say committed suicide. It's just something that was ingrained in my head since childhood. And I got corrected, and I understand why now. And uh, survivors say we, we we now phrase it as "died by suicide." And, and what's really important to remember for these brothers and sisters that it's truly not about how they died; it's about the way they served and the service they offered their communities, and that we need to remember them. And these brothers and sisters pay a price, that, and their families pay a price as well. And it's quite often a price is physical with physical injuries, and also mental, mental slash emotional. And suicide is a real issue, and we've got to get better at talking about it. Exactly. Um, I, I'm hoping when I, when I go around and I speak on my experience and things of that nature, um, I'm hoping that I'm able to give people a perspective from the view of somebody that's struggling with PTSD from things that they've seen on the job that they may not get otherwise. And I hope that I can bring that kind of perspective to people so they understand. Like you said, it's not how these officers, it's not how these men and women um, died. It's how they lived that made them heroes. That's what's etched on our memorial wall. And that, at least in my opinion, is across the board. It's not just line of duty deaths. It also applies to this. It does. And we have, and I'm not saying this to be negative. And I, I know someone is going to say it and they'll send me an email that they'll say, you're being negative. Well, we have officers who are considered line of duty deaths who died of a heart attack or had a, an aneurysm while they're on the job. And people can make an argument whether it's job related or not, but they were serving when they died. A lot of these men and women with a suicide, especially those that are driven by post-traumatic stress disorder, and I hate that term, JP, I prefer the term injury, but was driven by that, Certainly, in my mind, line of duty related. And to not acknowledge their service is doing a disservice to everybody and does its job. And I've, I've spent 20 years working. Um, one of the duties that I do is I work National Police Week um, at the hotels in Arlington, serving the families that come in from around the country to celebrate the officers that have died in the line of duty. And I love my Police Week families. I love concerns of police survivors, but we, we need to have this awareness across the board, not just in what they consider a line of duty death. Because like you said, these officers, these issues in majority of these cases are brought about through things that they've seen through work, um, prior military service that continues into work with law enforcement. And this job can tear you apart if you don't have the awareness of these things, the um, skills, understanding how to deal with your triggers and things of that nature. By the way, before we forget, and I almost did, get more information about Blue Help online. Their website is blue, as in the color, help.org. That's bluehelp.org. You can also find them on Facebook. We're very good people doing awesome things and uh, I'm glad you are doing what you do. And I know a lot of it is driven by, or I should say part of it is driven by your own story and your own experiences. Let's give a bird's eye view of your law enforcement career from start to finish. Um, so I've been with the department now for 22 years. I spent uh, the first four years working on midnights in the detention center, um, then transferred over to courts. 
Um, and then I went and did the community service program. Um, I was a shift commander again, and now I'm in charge of the Americans with Disabilities Act initiatives that we do throughout our department. And I also am on a group where we're Arlington County, as you said in the beginning, is very progressive on this issue. Um, our sheriff, Beth Arthur, has been very supportive of this. Police chief, the fire chief, and the communication center chief have all, we're, we're working right now, there's a group of us working on a program um, for health and wellness for all of our first responders. And um, so I cannot thank the group of them enough for what they're doing. Our sheriff has allowed me to go speak to all of our roll calls, all of our staff about this topic, um, and be able to tell my story where many of our men and women are not able to do that. And there's a, a big stigma that we've talked about quite often. And for many years, I was on the the idea that a lot of the stigma was coming from city hall, county administrators, police chiefs, sheriffs, whatever it might be. And to some degree, it could be in certain agencies. But now I'm starting to refocus my attention on breaking the stigma Meaning it, the conversation's got to start with me and people like me who have been dealing with this. And if we don't start talking about it and letting people know it gets better and life gets much, much better, uh, if we do certain things, then I'd say that we're partly to blame. We are talking with Captain J.P. McMichaels from the Arlington County Sheriff's Department. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break, and then we will be right back. So don't go anywhere. We're going to talk about 9-11 and some other major issues in his career. This is the Law Enforcement Today's show. We'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. That's our conversation with Captain J.P. McMichaels on the Law Enforcement Today show. For those who don't know, he's with the Arlington County Sheriff's Department, Arlington County, Virginia. Arlington is a northern Virginia suburb of Washington, D.C. Uh, a lot of people who are across the United States don't know where it is. We may think of sheriff's departments as being very rural. Arlington County is not a very rural area. Parts of it are nice and rural, but a lot of it is very congested. And 
and city suburban like is that a good explanation yes yeah very much so and in arlington or not far from your area is the pentagon which i've been to rolling thunder many times when i lived up there and i always love our military brothers and sisters and the pentagon is a unique place yeah it's actually about five minutes from where our department is um it's in if you're in our department you can look out the window and see it um, and we have a lot of interaction. I believe there's 26 law enforcement agencies in Arlington County. Um, and we have a lot of interaction as well with our military brothers and sisters, um, especially on 9-11. That kind of started all of that interaction and starting to work a lot more closely with all of these various agencies as well. When you say 9-11, a lot of people, you were working that day, correct? Yes. A lot of people tend to forget that uh, it wasn't just New York City. It wasn't just the World Trade Center. As tragic as that was, uh, the Pentagon was also struck, and many people died. Many people were injured there. Then we had the plane that was taken down in Pennsylvania. Did you respond to the Pentagon that day? I did. Um, That morning, I was working. I was in court. We were getting ready to start up a jury trial. Um, and as we were prepping the courtroom, somebody came in and said that a plane had hit one of the towers in New York, and we didn't think um, we didn't think much about it. We thought maybe there was a medical emergency or something of that nature. One of those small planes. Um, and then it wasn't long after that when they came, the person came back in and said a second plane had hit the other tower, and it was on the television, um, and. Me and the other uh, person I was working with, we both kind of looked at each other and knew that something was not right. I, I was watching it too, and I, I had the same thoughts you did. I thought it was a small plane or something, you know, weird emergency accident, something like that. But when I saw the second one hit, I knew right away that it was something catastrophic and it was terror related. Yeah, and I think I even I, I turned to the guy that I was working with, and I think I even made a comment about something's going to happen here. I just there was a feeling that came over me when we talked about it, and it wasn't that much longer after that when we got a radio call came across saying that there was smoke coming from the Pentagon and they believed that it was on fire. Right after that, one of our guys came across the radio. It was out on the road and said the Pentagon is not on fire. A plane just flew over top of my cruiser on 110 and slammed into the side of the building. And that was when everything kind of started getting chaotic. We shut the courtroom down. Um, I had a sergeant come up to me in the hallway and threw a set of keys to me and said, get over there. Um, And I, at the time, I was living over in Maryland and drove past the Pentagon every day, but for whatever reason, when I drove out of the parking garage that morning, I could not remember how to get over there. Um, And it felt like minutes, and it was probably a couple of seconds, and then got my head back together and headed over there. And what was interesting was when I came around onto um, Route 50, there was people getting out of their cars, the civilians were directing traffic to get people out of the way so that the first responders could get through. And as I came around the corner, and it was the first time that I had seen the Pentagon after it was hit, I I stopped in the middle of the road and just stared. You can't 
seeing it on the TV and in the pictures is one thing, but seeing it in person and realizing that we were under attack at that point, it was um, very overwhelming, to say the least. Plus, you have everything else that comes into it, all the other senses, your sight, your smells, the heat, all the sounds. I'm sure the sounds were like chaotic. Yeah, and everybody, I mean, you had people running out of the building, they were running up the hills, they were running towards the mall, yelling, screaming, it was, it was very chaotic. Nobody knew what to do, nobody knew where we were supposed to be, you couldn't get on the radio because there was so much radio traffic going on. It was just a very, very chaotic scene. And we ended up, um, all the traffic was shut down, and in the midst of that, they had one of the, um, on the radios, there's an emergency all call that goes out. There's a very loud audible tone. And during that time, as everything was beginning to happen, an audible tone came across and said, there's another plane coming from the South at five minutes out. And every minute that audible tone came on and began counting down. And I was with one of the officers, and we were standing. I don't remember exactly where we were. It was somewhere around the building, but we were just – I turned to him, and I was like, boy, we picked a great place to stand, didn't we? And in my mind, I just had this – I knew that was going to be my last day, just everything that was going on. And now we had another plane coming, and we knew where it was headed for. And it ended up, I think it got to like one minute out, and then they ID'd it as a military plane, and I believe it was one of the planes that was heading to um, intercept Flight 93, which we didn't know anything about at the time. And then we had, um, I was all over the place that morning going from different locations, and I ended up over, there used to be a gas station across from the Pentagon, and we were over there after setting up the crime scene tape and everything where they had the media set up at this gas station because they had a clear view of where the plane had hit. And that was where they were doing their broadcast from. And we were standing in front of them off to the side and you were hearing 800 people were in this section of the Pentagon. There were bombs going off in DC. There was a plane shot down over Pennsylvania, which, again, turned out to be Flight 93 that wasn't shot down. But it just goes to show the chaos that was being reported. Nobody had any idea what was going on. First of all, uh, police are the are the absolute worst saying, well, if I was there, I would have done this. And I'll be honest with you. If I was there in your shoes, I have no way of knowing what I would do. How to. Because be honest with you, I've never heard of one training episode of anything like this. How do you deal with this? I'm, I'm sure after 9-11, that has come into training for our law enforcement, for our firefighters, for our first responders. But prior to that, it was not even thought of. I mean, I'm, I was totally unaware, like you, that this could be a possibility my first thought was, oh, it was a small, like a Piper Cub or one of them, that there was a medical emergency and that one flew and hit the first tower of the World Trade Center. The thought that a second full-size commercial jet could hit the World Trade Center and then a third one could hit the Pentagon, I never would have considered it being an option. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. The 
The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Check out our website, letradioshow.com, for one-of-a-kind, can't-find-anywhere-else news articles, op-eds, videos, and much more. That's letradioshow.com. We are talking with Captain J.P. McMichaels from the Arlington County, Virginia Sheriff's Department, and we're talking about September 11th, 2001, the day the commercial airliner struck the Pentagon. You were there. And I'm sitting there listening to you describe what it was like, JP, and to have a countdown for another plane coming, and all the sounds and all the chaos. Did your mind have a, a, a moment to even process is the first thing we should do, or a second, or a third? No, it was kind of... I, well, I remember when I pulled up before I got over there, I had stopped. We had a couple guys that were setting up to block roads off, and I was like, where do we need to go? And they were like, we have no idea. It was just everybody was kind of going where they thought they needed to go, and things got done. But it was, I mean, you had people running everywhere later. One of the other things it was after the um, countdown with the plane, when we got up there, if you remember seeing it, when the plane hit, the floors did not collapse initially. And as people were running up to pull people from and get people out of that area, there was an intercom system that kept telling everybody to get 500, um, I think it was 500 feet back because the floor was not secure. So you'd run up and grab people to pull them out and then they would come across and tell you to get back. So everybody'd have to run back and then you're going back and forth. And finally those floors collapsed. And you literally, they were pulling people out. There were helicopters landing to take people to the hospital. You had ambulances coming up. And you never knew who you had taken out. You didn't know whether they lived or not. Um, You couldn't reach anybody on the phone. So my wife at the time, my family, they had no idea where I was. They knew I was probably down there, but they had no idea where I was, if I was alive or not. Um, I think that was one of the things that you thought about later on in the day. At the time, it was just get out and do your job, and there wasn't really any kind of thought process going on about we need to do A, B, and C. It was just get in and get these people out, um, get people away from the buildings, and and that kind of thing. There's bad calls. There's really bad incidents that everybody's career, you can, you can count off on a couple of hands some of these things and you're never quite sure what to do then you have ones that are just total cluster blank you know what i'm gonna say where it's do something grab a hand grab a person do do something and that's as far as you can really think what one of the things i'm struck by jp is going back to when you first got there and then there's a countdown for another plane heading your way most often in my experience in police work when something bad happened, I didn't really process it until afterwards. You didn't have time to think about it. So when you're standing there and you're taking in everything that's got to be done and you got this audible alert saying the plane is now a minute out, you know that something potentially horrible is going to happen or could happen and there's nothing you can do about it. Nope. And like you said, I didn't at that time. We were kind of, you know, we have a dark sense of humor 
in this profession and turn into the other guy and say, you know, we picked a great place to stand. Cause like I said, at that moment, I thought we were done. This is, this is where our time's going to end here. Um, but I didn't till towards the end of that week, that weekend, I, I didn't process any of it. I didn't even, I didn't even see anything that was going on up in New York until that weekend because there was so much stuff going on. I still find it very difficult to watch any footage of it. And it is something I almost am very reluctant to ask you about because I, I see it on social media quite often. And, and be honest with you, I almost, I have a hard time controlling myself. So when I see people, these, these nine 11 truthers for lack of better words, and they will say it wasn't a plane, it was a missile and the government did it to itself. How do you respond to that or not respond to that? I, I, I don't really respond to it. I mean, that's the great thing about our country. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. We were down there. Um, we, we saw what happened. We saw parts, the report from one of our officers saying the plane, he watched the plane fly into the building. So, I mean, if there's people that believe differently, then that's, I, I don't really take a lot of my time worrying about that. Was the uh, the astronaut uh, Neil Armstrong when someone uh, finally got under his skin and said that the whole moon landing was a hoax and he wound up punching him? That's that's what I'm afraid I'd be like. And if I was there, like in your shoes, I don't know that I'd have the presence of mind to to not respond. One of the things that people are not familiar with that area, you have near Washington, D.C., you've got National Airport or Reagan National Airport and planes flying in low, big commercial airliners. It's not unusual. But to see one in that area around the Pentagon where it's a matter of a couple stories above you going over a patrol car would, would be this is something horribly wrong. Yeah, and it almost, I believe it was the Sheraton on Columbia if I remember, um, it almost clipped the top of that building and it ended up shearing um, several of the streetlights in half heading into the Pentagon. So that's how low it was when it came in. Enough discussion about the scene because I've, I have a feeling that I have a comfort level, things I can talk about with people, even people in law enforcement. And then I have a level where I can't go further and I, I wind up getting upset and i don't want that to be part of this conversation i appreciate your service i thank you for your service that day and, and since then but something like that after 9 11 were you the same guy did were you negatively impacted by this uh, most definitely um i my thought was i had just probably about a six months before that had got accepted as a member of our peer support team, had gone through the training. Uh, and I, when stuff started, the flashbacks started, um, if planes flew overhead low, that audible tone, if I heard that, I, it didn't matter where I was, I was back at the Pentagon the minute I heard that audible tone. And I kept telling myself, I'm like, oh, I can get through this. I don't need to ask for help. At that point, that you didn't talk about that stuff. That stigma that we talked about earlier that was huge you you didn't tell people you were suffering through anything so i went about it the best that i could um and it started to get to the point where i was going home every night and locking myself in a room and i had no interaction with anybody um, and it got to be in 2003 
my wife at the time had she had had enough of it she was like i can't deal with you anymore i wasn't talking i was withdrawn from everybody and she left um and she left that was in may of 2003 and i did not tell anybody she left i was embarrassed i felt like a failure that just you know piled everything on top of more what i was going through with the um the pts symptoms i had been diagnosed right around that time with it and in october of 2003 i sat in my house one morning and i had my door open and it was i just remember sitting there thinking man it looks like the morning of 9 11 was a beautiful day and i sat there and i wrote a note out to my family and my friends and i apologized for everything and tried to explain the best that i could that i couldn't deal with this anymore and um took my service weapon and I put it up to my head and as I started to pull the trigger back it was for whatever reason at that time um, the thought of my wife came to me and I had a moment of clarity and realized if I do this that she's going to be blamed for it because nobody knew that she had left and I knew the minute that they would at least my family and I'm sure some of my friends would have blamed her. And we're going to take a short, was, short break. Yep. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We're talking with Captain J.P. McMichaels from the Arlington County, Virginia Sheriff's Department. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. So many people ask me, how did I transition from police work to a career in radio? What did I do to become a music radio DJ? Plus, host of the syndicated Law Enforcement Today radio talk show and podcast. The answer is simple. I attended the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, where I learned by doing. At Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting's 11 East Coast campuses, students have learned by doing for 55 years, radio, television, podcasting, and now coding for web development. At the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, students learn in months, not years. Day and evening classes are available. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting is perfect for those graduating from high school, adults looking for new career training, first responders, and veterans, too. For veterans, some or all your tuition could be covered by your VA benefits. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting has locations in Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, and North Carolina. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, training in audio, video production, television, sports, podcasting, radio, and web development. What are you waiting for? Get more information. Call 800-887-2346 or online at gocsb.com. For special offers and consideration, tell them you heard about them from Law Enforcement Today. That's 800-887-2346 and online at gocsb.com. Again, 800-887-2346 and online at gocsb.com. Check out our website, letradioshow.com. There you'll find past episodes of the radio show as a podcast. You can listen to us anytime, anywhere. That's letradioshow.com, or just do a Google search for Law Enforcement Today podcast. Back to our conversation with Captain J.P. McMichaels on the Law Enforcement Today show. When we went to break, J.P., you're talking about the subsequent post-traumatic stress issues and symptoms you're struggling with after September 11th at the Pentagon and how it impacted your family. And by the way, I could so relate. I'm just sitting here listening. I could so relate to a lot of what you talked about. For me, it, it, I talk about this isolation where 
I became emotionally unavailable and physically unavailable a lot of times for, for my wife, my children, and it all negatively compounded that I should be able to handle this. There was this, this mind thing that goes on where I should have, I got a lot of willpower, I do, but I can't use that to fix this. It only made it worse. Yep. And my marriage is falling apart. We're looking at divorce and separation, all that stuff. And I felt like the biggest failure that ever walked the face of the earth because that's not what it wanted. What it wanted was to be a cop and be a father and be a husband and be all these things and be a good guy. And I didn't feel like I was being that anymore. Yeah, and they don't, when you go into the academy, they're, they're getting much better at it now. But back then, they didn't, they didn't teach you about this part of the job. They didn't teach you about home and how to transition from what you're doing during the day to coming home and dealing with that stuff. You had no idea. You just had to kind of do the best you knew how to. Especially when you have something as catastrophic as what you guys went through that day. And I don't know if anybody wasn't negatively impacted by 9-11. And I, I was, and I was in Florida when it happened. I remember going to, to New York City several years after that for some seminar. And, and I went to two New York NYPD guys at um, the site of the World Trade Center. This is before the new buildings were there. And I wanted to say something to them about, you know, I'm sorry. And before I could even get two words out, I you know, said I'm a retired police sergeant. And then I started crying because I couldn't. Yeah. To this day, I still can't comprehend what it's like to lose that many people, not just the, the brothers and sisters on the job, not just the firefighters, but everybody else as well, and and to be powerless to do anything about it. Yeah, and we, I, I went up there, I think it was New Year's Eve of from 2001 into 2002. Um, my family wanted to go up there, and we ended up going over to Ground Zero, the day i think it was new year's day and not the best scenario for me um my father-in-law at the time was telling people in the line there that i was at the pentagon and people were coming up to me and thanking me and i wanted nothing to do with that i didn't i i didn't want to talk to them about it um the guys that were working up there from NYPD and NYFD when when you talked to them and you told them you were at the pentagon it was almost like this bond between the two of you because you were the only ones that understood what went on. Um, and I still get that when I go around and I speak, if I happen to run into somebody that was there, it's you just immediately, it's like a friendship is there. I don't have that. What I feel is a lot of compassion and I feel a lot of, I wish I could do something to make it better. And maybe that's a cop part of me. I think it is, but I can't. And so you're dealing with the aftermath of this, and the aftermath of this is that you're you're having problems at home, your marriage is falling apart, your mental health is falling apart, and you become suicidal. Yep. And um, it was after that, that October morning, um, and just by luck of the draw, um, I happened to run into a buddy of mine from Alexandria PD at the time, and we had been in rehab. I had torn my bicep tendon a few years before that. And he, I forget, I think he had hurt his knee or something, but he was in rehab and he saw me and he was like, something's different with you. I don't know what it is, but look, this group, we, you know, we started talking. I was telling him about being at the Pentagon and he said, we've got this group that's coming in um, that does 
the post-critical incident seminars, and I had no idea what they were. Um, it was run by Jim Horn, who was an FBI profiler, um, and Kathy Thomas and Irene Hajasava that were psychologists, and there was a firefighter peer named Donnie Boyd, and they did a three-day, um, almost like a group debriefing for you. And in between those three days, you had, there was a massage therapist, different little activities, everybody ate together, and they took me out, Kathy took me out and did EMDR um, with me, and I had no idea what it was. They told me about it, and they said, this is the craziest thing you're ever going to see, but trust me, it'll work. And I remember I walked out of the room and sat down with her, and as we started doing that therapy, it was the first time I had laughed in I don't know how long. And when I walked back into that room, everybody stopped, and they were like, it looked like the weight of the world had been lifted off of you. And to this day, I was able to, I spoke at the World Conference on Crisis and Trauma, and I was very fortunate. My entire family came up to see me speak for the first time, and Kathy and Irene were both there, and Pete Volkman, who is um, with the ICISF, and he was the guy that trained me on peer support, he sat in on my class where I talked about this, and I was able to thank Kathy and introduce her to my family. And it was just a um, it was just a great honor for me to have them sit there and hear me talk, and then be able to introduce my family to the people that saved me. That was how my healing started. And then later on down the road, a few years later, I had a buddy of mine that I grew up with that was a Maryland State Trooper, and he had a bad call on the Bay Bridge and. A year after that call, he ended up jumping off the bridge. And my ex-wife had called me to tell me, she's like, did you hear about John? And I said, no. And she told me, and I dropped my phone in the store. And that night, I started having nightmares again, where he was jumping, and then it turned into me, and the depression started back up. I had another buddy that ended up getting brain cancer, and he ended up passing away a year later in his early thirties, just had a kid. And it was just, I was at that point I was in, I had gone back to school. So I was an undergrad at that point, And I mean, I just went downhill quick. My saving grace with it was my little son who I think at the time was five or six. And he came into the room one day and I was laying there and he walked up to me and he said, daddy, why won't you play with me? And whatever reason that kind of, I'm laying there and I'm like, all right, what the f- doing? I've got to get my head straight. And I kind of, I kind of got myself up. It took a little while. And I, it was at that moment I realized what I was going through was now affecting him. Yeah. And I ended up writing a kid's book called, why won't you play with me based on the conversations that I had with this little guy about the PTSD and what I was going through. And I tell people when I talk, he's like a 90 year old trapped in a nine year old's body now with these questions that he comes up with. And, you know, the things that he asks and makes you really think and look back on. And I wrote this book and I put a little workbook in the back to help people that are going through this, be able to have those conversations with their kids because it's not easy to do but he gave me such a different perspective on things. And I got to take him back last year to the Pentagon. He had never been over there. And I took him to the um, memorial 
and we're walking around and I got by the wall where the plane hit and just lost it. And he walked over and puts his arm around me and he said, daddy, I think it's time to go home now. (laughs) Yeah. And we get home and he's crying on the way home and we walk in the door and my wife and my daughter go upstairs and he's like, can I have a private conversation with you? So I'm like, all right, this ought to be good. And he says to me, he's like, you know, I got so upset because when I saw you crying, I thought you were going to hurt yourself again, like before. Yeah. And that just and, brings it. It's got. It's got to bring it all back. We we are quickly running out of time. And yeah. before we run out of time, I want to make sure people know where they can get more information about your book. My books are available. They're on Amazon, or if you go to my website at Catalyst of Change Associates dot com, the links are on there for the books. And I believe Blue Help put them up on there yesterday on their website as well. So if you go on there, they have the links to the books on there. Captain J.P. McMichaels, thanks so very much for coming on the show and telling us all about it. Very much appreciated. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you want to be a guest on a Law Enforcement Today show, just go to our website and contact me through there. Our website is letradioshow.com. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website, letradioshow.com. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.